Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're Mom listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. And I'm Hannah Blackiston. Joining us to break down the week in media and marketing is Damien Francis. Hello. And Zoe Wilkinson. Hello. Later in the Mumbrella cast, in the week of Nine's 2021 upfronts, I'll be talking to Chief Sales Officer Michael Stevenson about the outlook for 2021. It's why I believe that we're ready to be Australian brand's partner of choice. Nine's position in the media landscape. We're a unique media business because we are without peer. And the power of Nine Powered. We've got a power that is, you know, the glue that brings Nine together. But first, the week's topics. Is Nine's Adobe Data deal a game changer? How the post-COVID TV programming schedule is shaping up. The Ad Standards Board gets serious about body image. And the reason small publishers fear the ACCC's new code might make their lives harder. So, another historic moment this week with the first ever video-based TV upfronts. Because of the pandemic, there was no million-dollar party at Fox Studios this year. Instead, Nine hit the play button on its upfront video on Wednesday afternoon with about 4,000 of us from the industry watching that stream. Um, Hannah, before we analyse the various upfronts announcements in detail, do you want to just run through the key points? Yeah, of course. So I think probably the thing that Nine would point to as the biggest announcement was an Australia first, possibly global first partnership with Adobe, which will see uh, Nine able to kind of smash its audience data. That's data from about 13 million registered users with Adobe's audience manager providing marketers with a snapshot on you know, the users of Nine, which advertisers will obviously be able to use going forward. Um, that was kind of the key point following on from that Nine has also rolled its Nine Galaxy platform, its buying platform out across Nine Radio as well, um, which means that alongside being able to buy digital across Nine's other assets, buyers will now be able to use that platform across the Nine Radio assets too. Um, There was an expansion on Nine Powered, that's Nine's uh, marketing solutions arm. They're now targeting a bigger audience or a higher audience, I suppose, with Powered Enterprise, which is kind of going to get Nine in the room talking to the C-suite and marketers and finding out new ways that Nine can help businesses grow and be a part of that process. And then I guess after that, there was the State of Originality call to arms, which I'm sure we'll talk more to later. Um, That's kind of a little bit of a competition to win a million dollars worth of buying across Nine's network next year. And on top of that, of course, there were the usual content announcements, um, obviously some new additions to the slate there too. Now, this is the interesting thing. The fact that I think this is the second year running, it's felt like the big moment has not been the programming. It's been something technology-based. You know, and this, this will be... Deliberate from nine, you know the. If, if you look at all of the, the the trade press this week, the the conversation has been particularly around the Adobe announcement, which um, 
it's being presented by Nine as a, a, a way of taking on Google and Facebook where it's very easy to target those lookalike audiences um, to, to, to at least partly counter that. Um, do we do we think that this is a game changer? Yeah, you're definitely right there. I think the content slate at nine, even though they did have to replace a major flagship show in The Voice, it still definitely played second fiddle to the rest, which I think was something they'd kind of been leading us into from earlier in the year, talking about, you know, nine's move away from being a traditional media business. In terms of whether it's going to put them in the room to compete directly with Facebook and Google, I think general consensus is perhaps not just yet. They've obviously put their best foot forward in terms of being able to compete on that level, whether or not straight away it's going to put them as far forward as those big tech platforms, I'm not sure. But it's definitely a step in the right direction. And I think if Nine really does want to start taking some of that money away from those big tech platforms, or at least being able to play in the same wheelhouse, this is the kind of data deal that you're going to need. And i would not be surprised if we see more media companies following on from this announcement doing something very similar. I think you're right, Tim. I think we're going to see a lot more media companies now actually focus on the technology side of things. And as a former consumer tech journalist, uh, we watched year upon year as, as the big tech companies threw everything behind these big events where they launched a whole range of different technologies uh, that had everything to do with not just consumers, but but enterprise as well. And I think in this case, the partnership with Adobe is particularly interesting in terms of the way that they describe how they were going to uh, give marketers the opportunity to use uh, more data to, more specifically. Uh, the, the And I think I'm getting this terminology correct, the hashed emails uh, stepping away from the cookie-based uh, tracking uh, for those who, who don't know, and, and I'm very novice to this, I'll put it out there. Like I said, I was consumer tech rather than enterprise tech, but um, a hashed email is a, it's apparently a cryptographic function um, and it's a, a way of uh, encrypting email addresses into a hexadecimal string, which uh, marketers can then follow uh, around the, the internet. Um, and importantly, through various devices uh, as well. It doesn't just stop at a, at a desktop, it goes beyond. So uh, the ability to track users uh, in a much more detailed way and provide them with clearer messaging is really interesting. It's really interesting that that Nine itself has made that such an important part of, of the upfronts this year. And Hannah, I know you'll be talking to Michael Stevenson from Nine a little bit later. Um, my my understanding of sort of I guess the reason for involving Adobe in this process is so that brands don't have to hand over their customer database to Nine. Effectively, Adobe is the sort of the 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 mystery box in the middle that um that that acts as the as the kind of clearinghouse. Um, presumably, though, that also will only work for the brands that have Adobe as part of the tech stack, which isn't all of them by any means. So presumably this this would just be potentially the first deal of many. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. I think Adobe is obviously a really big partner 
um, which is probably why they've moved on them first. It's also worth pointing out that um, Coles has signed on as the launch partner for this deal, obviously a massive player in that space and someone who um, has been doing a lot in that kind of data space as well. So I think this, yeah, we should expect to see more of these deals along the line. I think this is just nine kind of sticking the flag in the ground and saying this is where we're going to play and we're really serious about it. Zoe, your thoughts? Well, what struck me when they announced this at the upfronts, they had their bit of a hype reel before, you know, they went into talking about the nitty gritty. And what struck me about it was it ran through, you know, how you can connect your audience between BVOD and the publishers, so the Sydney Morning Herald and Pedestrian in the Age, to the AFR and across to Nine Radio. I mean, we know that Nine is such a huge company, but when they ran through that reel, it really, like, struck me, like, how me watching, you know, Catch Up of the Block on BVOD is going to really tap into everything that I get served on every Nine platform ever again. Like, I don't know. I just, like, it it was quite strange. I mean, we know it's so big, but... It was very confronting to f- see what the result of this will actually be in front of you. I think that speaks to something that um, our colleague Brittany, who is unfortunately unwell today and not here, but she spoke to a lot of media buyers after the event. And that is something that a lot of them spoke to was that Nine really managed to encapsulate that for this upfronts, how big a media company they are. And I think that was a lot of the feedback from us last year was that maybe the Fairfax, ex-Fairfax side of the business wasn't quite reflected the nine radio side obviously wasn't fully formed by that point I think what nine did really well during this upfront which was probably quite difficult given that we weren't all in the room and feeling the scope of it was they really managed to say we're a massive media company now we can capture your audience everywhere they are well um let's talk about the television side of things though the content slate um obviously a lot of reality formats this time which i i'm I'm guessing is at least de-risking production schedules um felt like there was a lot less talk of drama than usual for instance um but a couple of quite big overseas names so sir alan sugar coming in for celebrity apprentice um he's he's been the face of the apprentice in the uk for many years um, in the same way that Donald Trump was the face of The Apprentice in the US. Uh, and then Joe Frost, who obviously uh, made her famous super nanny, is on the parent jury. So it does look like where Nine are doing, you know, tried and tested formats from overseas, they're also investing in the the, the, the big name talent to go with it. Yeah. um, Do you know what I particularly liked from the Celebrity Apprentice trailer? They had Alan Sugar getting out of his personal jet. And to me, that felt like such a wink to, yes, maybe we won't be able to fly, but Alan Sugar can still fly. Um, You're very much, you're very right. The reality was definitely the focus. I think the content slate was maybe the only place where Nine kind of disappointed a little bit, just in terms of what I've heard after the event. And I think that's, kind of something we're going to have to expect in a COVID world. It's very hard to really push the boat out on content when you're worried that you maybe won't be able to film it. Um, As I mentioned earlier, Nine dropped The Voice earlier this year, which Seven has already picked up. So they had some slots to fill, obviously Celebrity Apprentice going in there, also Beauty and the Geek. Um, 
which is formerly a Seven show, which made me laugh a little bit because we remember Hugh Marks saying when Seven picked up the voice, oh, they can have our offcuts. Um, that was quite funny. But that's and this Sophie is Sophie Monk. Monk. Sophie Monk at the front of Beauty and the Geek. There was also an announcement in there that Love Island this year will be filming on the Gold Coast. So de-risking that format. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting because Parent Jury, I believe, was something they announced last year and then were unable to film. Announcing that again for next year does seem a little bit risky when we're not quite sure where we're going to be in terms of travel and stuff like that next year either. But, you know, all power to them. Travel Guide's another one that's coming back. Um, And then I think what was really missing from the slate, obviously the block, Lego Masters, Ninja Warrior, all coming back as well. I think for me what was really missing was when I knew they didn't have the voice, I was kind of hoping for some sort of really big announcement maybe something new maybe something we hadn't seen before and then it just fell flat just a little bit for me yeah I wonder I wonder how much firepower they're holding back until they actually know that commissioning is back to normal and I also wonder how much firepower they're coming back just in case the cricket rights come up I mean that's something that I thought was really interesting as well I mean in our uh, Upfronts review this morning, the Densu Aegis Network's Craig Cooper made a comment about how he wished that they went into a bit more of the production uh, side of things and how these shows were going to get produced. And I thought that was quite interesting because if I remember correctly, last year one of the things that media buyers were so excited about was Holy Moly on Seven, the life-size mini golf TV show that I think they made probably like two episodes over in the US and had to stop because of COVID. And now we won't see that until next year. And that's what people were really excited about. So maybe maybe Nine is holding back some of the firepower in the content this year because you don't want to get people too hyped up for something that could get, you know, shut down at the last minute. And Hannah, I suppose the the other thing that they've started sort of spinning the wheels on already is state of origin and state of originality, um, the, we, we, which is the the sort of effectively it's Nine's attempt to create. They always call it the Super Bowl of advertising, don't they? That that obsession in the US with the ads, which is something we've talked about a lot over the years in. Australia and I think maybe has suffered a bit because you've got the eastern states are about NRL um you've 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 then got sort of you know Perth and and Victoria about AF and and Tasmania about AFL um so it's a bit harder to have that one event that all of Australia is watching um so I suppose the question is 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 do you do you, do you think this will be the kickstart it needs and then I suppose and the other thing that occurred to me is interesting they're doing it for origin and not for grand final yeah you make a really good point there um I hadn't even thought about that bias between different states um when I was thinking about this I guess because I'm a Sydney sider so it didn't even come into my mind but I think it is interesting that they're already drawing our attention to next year when I first read about this I naively presumed it was for this year Um, But I think maybe they've already given up the ghost on this year a little bit in so much as maybe now is not the time to try and push a bunch of spend behind behind a competition that, you know, relies on a lot of different um, a lot of different things coming together in a very difficult environment at the moment. But it is a good thing. It's a good way to get people talking about a sporting event for next year in that kind of 
by this time next year, everything's going to be okay. And you might be worried about spending at the moment and we're about to come up to Christmas and you're going to have to start spending then. But let's look past that and let's look at these events and get excited about these events. So I think Nine have tried to do a really positive spin on things. And I think personally, I think it's been quite successful. Obviously, we'll know more when we actually start seeing some of the stuff come in um, and when we start seeing, you know, who's involved in it. But I also think surely offering up a million dollars worth of spend across nine's platforms is as good a way as any to get people to start throwing some creativity your way and here's another um question i found myself thinking about and this is a bit inside baseball because it's 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 about the spin rather than the substance um it dawned on me a few minutes into the stream it wasn't live you know we we'd we'd, we'd had all of the messages saying 4 p.m. Eastern time, you know, we'll all be there. You know, there's a, you, you got your email reminders to watch it. Um, you then saw the big countdown on screen. And then you could, you could almost immediately tell because, you know, it was a multi camera setup. So, and the presenters would always be looking at the right camera. There wouldn't be that sort of awkward twist. Um, just, and, and hey, that's fine. They got the 4,000 people to watch. But I wonder, does it make it less compelling for future upfronts once you kind of realise, well, look, I can, you know, I can get, actually catch it anytime because it's not, you know, it's not actually live or am I just overthinking that? <laughs> I, coming from a TV background, I am not at all surprised that they took the chance out of it by not doing it live. It's exactly how I would have done it. Um, but I wonder whether maybe this is like, you know, Game of Thrones or something. Oh yeah, nine's up front, similar to Game of Thrones in the way that if you don't watch it when everyone else is watching it and you miss out on, maybe they've got some massive game changing announcement. Maybe this is when like Hugh Marks announces he's standing down or something. Do you really want to find that out by some trade press the next day? No, you don't. So I wonder if, an upfront event is something where you can still guarantee people will tune in. It was only about 40 minutes long. That's not long out of your day. I had it on in the background. So I don't know. You had it on in the background? (laughs) I checked in from time to time. I was too busy hammering out the stories. Look, Um, it's it's worth making the point you'd already had a briefing. Yes, um, (laughs) I'd already had several briefings. So so effectively this was your third time of viewing. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, in answer to your question, I think what's really going to interest me is whether 10 and 7, what they do, whether they see this, and I'm sure they have seen this, and go, oh, if they were planning something live, go, maybe we just shouldn't, maybe we should just make it as slick as possible. Or they watch this and they're like, nah, we're going to come in hard, we're going to make it live, and it's if it's awkward, it's awkward. Like they say, fuck it, we'll do it live. Demo. Yeah. <laughs> The bar's been set now, hasn't it? It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether it's live excitement versus uh, extreme production values that uh, that the competitors try to beat. I'd like to throw that question back to you, Tim, because if I remember correct, and I do remember correctly, I, I'm never incorrect, but you have uh, pushed uh, on us many a time before that it's much more exciting live. That's why we're doing the live uh, marketing summits. That's why... The videos we've been doing have been live. What's the reasoning behind your, uh, I guess, uh, belief that live has that extra level to it? Well, I I suppose two parts. Firstly, 
I'm one of these sports fans who I can't just watch the game. You know, if it's a if it's a game of soccer from the UK, I can't just watch it the next morning. It just doesn't feel the same, even if I don't know the result. So that might be part of it. But I think there's also just that sense of well, I can watch it any time then. You know, so why watch it now? So I, I accept Hannah's point on, um, you know, the water cooler TV moment. You you want to have seen it straight away, so you're on top of things. But I think once you know it's not live, then you feel less urgency to watch it immediately versus catch up with it at some point. I spoke to Nine's chief sales officer, Michael Stevenson, a bit earlier, and I began by asking him what he wants the industry to take away from this year's upfronts. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's there's no doubt that the last nine months have been incredibly challenging for everybody. And, you know, from bushfires to floods, of course, um, COVID-19, uh, those events have shaped our communities. They've shaped us as people and they've certainly shaped our economy. But, you know, what I hope people take away from our presentation is that um, that there is a road to recovery and that there are opportunities for everybody. And um, it'll be those brands and those businesses and those marketers that take advantage of the take advantages of those opportunities that will that will ultimately prosper. We're certainly seeing um, the ad market recovering, uh, but the TV market, the digital market, is already back to pre-COVID um, levels. Uh, but the publishing and radio market recovering quicker than we'd anticipated. So. There is lots of opportunities, I think, um, in the marketplace, and of course, I think Nine's perfectly positioned to be uh, to be people's partner of choice, and of course, that's what our upfronts were all about. And how did COVID, or you know, as you touched on there, not only COVID, COVID plus bushfires plus everything else that's happened this year, how did that change? Did that in any way change what you were hoping or expecting to deliver at the upfronts? Was anything kind of in there that wouldn't have been in there, or anything you had to let go of? No, I mean obviously there were um, we were we were fortunate enough that our production schedule was was not significantly impacted and and we had a lot of our product from a TV point of view um, already in the can and ready to go and, and those that weren't like the voice if you think about sort of you know the, the voice final series we were innovative in terms of the way in which we could um, take those to to the, to the market and the audiences at large uh, from a publishing point of view you know we. We started publishing our papers um, remotely for the first time ever. Um, we, we pivoted our business very, very quickly and we were, you know, all the work that, that Hugh and, and our exec team have done over the course of the last five years positioned us really well to navigate through the difficult times and we have done and we're now coming out of the other end. From a, you know, from a, a business perspective, you know, you mentioned consistency. That's what we're all about. Um, and through through the depths of the COVID um, uh, situation, we delivered consistency of audiences. We dominated in the demographics again, as we have done for the last five years, and we've come out of it bigger and better and, and stronger. And uh, we're looking forward to to the continued road to recovery. So let's start talking about some of those big announcements. One of the biggest ones was Nine's new partnership with Adobe for Audience Match. Why is Audience Match going to form a crucial part of the Nine business? So, you know, in February 2016, we launched Nine Now. Um, gosh, I can't believe it's been it's been <laughs> over four years. Um, and at that time, you know, we made it mandatory for people to access our content to sign into the platform. And as a result of that, um, you know, we now have 13 million deduplicated signed-in users across our entire network. 
that is um, a significant benefit and a huge opportunity for brands. Of course, uploading our, our audience segments and allowing an advertiser to connect their signed in users or their hashed emails with our data um, has been difficult. Um, and the only place that you can really, or the only two people that you can really do that today um, at scale with is uh, Facebook and Google. And you can do that through the Adobe platform. So we knew um, to compete in the new world that we must also be a part of the Adobe platform. And therefore, you know, we've been working tirelessly with Suzanne Steele and her team for many, many, many months to get to a point um, where we were able to announce that Nine will be the first publisher in the world and certainly the first publisher in Australia to have our um, data and our segments sitting right alongside that of the major of the, of the platforms inside the Adobe um, stack. That's a game changer for, um, for Australian advertisers because for the very first time, uh, for those Adobe audience manager customers, of which there are many, um, they'll have a choice between Facebook, Google and Nine um to to match those audiences and of course with nine you're able to do that in our premium content environments which is a, a significant competitive advantage so if we're talking practically what kind of a difference are you expecting audio ma- audience match to make in marketers lives from a practical level what does this mean for marketers yeah so marketers will be able to upload their data and their audience segments into the adobe platform um, we will have, of course, already uploaded as um, they'll be able to match those audiences in real time and then go and buy those audiences across Nine's broad digital ecosystem in real time. That is a it's a significant difference to what happens today um, where that process is difficult, cumbersome, um, and it opens up a whole new world for advertisers as it gives them more choice. Um, as I mentioned, today they have the choice between Facebook and Google and very shortly, they'll um, be able to choose um, Facebook, Google, or Nine's premium environment. And Nine's spoken quite openly in the past about trying to kind of diversify itself a bit and move away from being, you know, a traditional media company, especially being able to be the first media business to bring this sort of partnership to Australia and, you know, possibly to the world. That must be a really great step in terms of that transformation for you guys. Yeah, you know, I think we we are Australia's largest digital business. We're a unique media business because we are without peer. There is there is nobody certainly in Australia, and there are arguably no other media businesses in the world that have the same sort of asset mix that we have, than the size and scale that we that we have in our business here here at Nine. Um, you know, of course, we've evolved our, our data and our technology proposition over the course of the last four or five years to sit proudly alongside our content proposition and that we believe are the foundations of a successful media business of the future, content, data and technology, a business built um, to create a marketing platform for brands. And we're not perfect. We've still got a long way to go, but um, we're certainly on a journey and I feel like we're heading in the right direction and going at speed. Um, Another one of the big announcements that was made at the Upfronts event was the expansion of Powered, which is Nine's client marketing solution division, um, and the launch of Powered Enterprise. So do you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so everybody will be familiar with with Powered as the home of big ideas, Um, and we're super proud. You know, we've this year, um, we've, we've created over 300 big ideas through Powered. 
um, brands that can integrate, brands have integrated into and around the content that we create across all of those platforms. And that, that's really important and that won't change. But what I do know to be true is that, you know, as we continue to emerge in a post-COVID world, um, I do believe that brands will look for fewer um, but larger and much deeper partnerships. Um, I really feel like those brands that will take advantage of all of these new opportunities will be looking to move beyond a transactional, transactional relationship with their media partner and towards what I would call an enterprise-level relationship. And what I mean by that is, you know, on face value, Nine is a content, data and technology company, and yes, we are. But Nine is also an insights business, a strategic business. Um, we're a PR business. We're a talent business. We're a data business. And so the whole notion around powered enterprise is how do we help um, a brand to completely unlock everything that Nine has to offer to help them supercharge not only a campaign or a launch or a product, but to supercharge their entire business. Um, so we will be looking for different commercial models for new ways to align our KPIs so that we help brands deliver real business growth. That's what this is about. This is beyond um, a transactional relationship that is based on, you know, an annual negotiation around cost per thousands. Of course, that'll be important and that'll still happen. But there is a much bigger conversation to be had and we want to lead it. And where do you see this expansion putting powered in the market? So what point do you are you expecting that you're going to start having these conversations with clients? Yeah, so um, we're actively in the market now recruiting for new people to come and join, join Powered Enterprise, um, very senior um, marketers with broad business experience that can have a C-level conversation um, with, you know, with the CEOs, the COOs, the CFOs and the marketing directors, of course, of our major brands. So that process is underway. And, of course, that group of people will be supported um, by everything that is Powered insight, strategy and effectiveness, um, our studios business, our content partnerships business, our client experience business um, will all be there to, to support Powered, as will all of Nine. And that's what I love about Powered Enterprise. When, when brands decide to come on this journey with us and we create our joint business plans together, all of Nine will be behind, will be behind this company, um, which I know will deliver better business results for them. So it's super exciting and I can't wait to get started. So last year, the Upfronts event kind of came really quickly after Nine had, or it was announced that Nine would be taking ownership of Macquarie Media. It was just over a year after the Fairfax merger. How do you think Nine feels different as a business in 2020 compared to last year? So I think, well, I think sometimes it's easy to, to answer that question. I'll say what hasn't changed. Um, what hasn't changed is our consistency, um, our scale, and the audiences that you know that we deliver across all of those platforms um, to help marketers you know reach their customers um, quickly um, and at and at scale in real time. And those things are those things are critically important. What has changed, though, of course, with the addition of of Nine Radio, is that um, we now have a breadth of asset that is unrivaled. But importantly, and not a lot of people see this because it happens within our company, but we are now a fully integrated um, media company and that there's a lot of hard work gone on and, you know, we still, there are still things to do and we can still improve. 
but we're certainly in a really good space as far as that's concerned. Our sales transformation um, or the next stage of our sales transformation has been complete and we did that through COVID. So we now have a structure that is set up to support um, the media business of the future, one that has the most senior people leading our teams across the country, um, but is supported by great specialism in either television, digital, publishing, radio, teams specifically set up to, um, to partner with the, the growing SME market. We've got a power that is, you know, the glue that brings nine together, becoming uh, more and more important every day. Um, those disciplines of insight, strategy, effectiveness, proving that when you advertise with nine, um, it does deliver you better business results. And we've got numerous case studies um, to show that. Our data proposition has evolved. And of course, the Adobe announcement um, is testament is testament to that. And, you know, something again that happens within our company, but it's something that I'm, out of everything, maybe even most proud about is that we've continued to develop our people and our teams, both personally um, and culturally, to, to increase their capability as individuals, which ultimately increases Nine's capability as a team. And therefore, we're delivering better work. Um, you know, there's some amazing campaigns that you're going to see um, unfold over the course of the last the next three months um, as we head towards Christmas. I just think of some of the best work that we've created at Nine. Um, so a lot, a lot hasn't changed, but my God, so much else has. And it's why, of course, a common theme at our, at our upfronts is it's why I believe that we're ready to be Australian brands' partner of choice, their business partner of choice, as they rethink um, and reconsider what they need um, from a marketing platform. Um, lastly, just to cap this off, there was a bit of a call to arms at your Upfronts event as part of State of Originality, which is a competition for marketers around the NRL State of Origin for next year. What inspired that initiative? Oh, you know, what we all know to be true is that the most successful campaigns are a combination of reach and creativity. Um, you must place your advertising in the environments that allow you to reach your target audience at scale, part one. Um, and part two, of course, is make sure that the advertising is creative and resonates at an emotional level with, um, with the audience that it's targeting. And, you know, I think in Australia uh, we produce some amazing creative work, but can we be more creative and, sh and can we do more of it? The answer to that is absolutely yes, which is why we announced a million-dollar challenge to marketers to utilise the biggest event of the year, which is State of Origin, to showcase um, our originality, our creativity, and to um, supercharge their campaigns. We're, um, we'll have an esteemed group of judges who will decide um, who ultimately is the winner, but it's a call to arms to the creative community to get behind creativity. It's a call to arms to marketers to, um, to back your creative partners and, um, and have a real go, be prepared to take some risks, and, um, and supercharge their brands, like I said, on a platform that's going to reach 4 million people. Pretty amazing opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And if we think about, you know, Super Bowl marketing, which is what you're kind of comparing it to in the past, there have obviously been some real standouts over the years. What are you, you know, what level of creativity are you expecting or what are you kind of, what are you most looking forward to to come out of this event? Oh, I think, you know, I think, Great creative tells a story. Great creative is engaging. It's emotive. Um, great creative makes you laugh and it makes you cry. 
So, you know, I'd love for Australian brands to find that, to find that point of passion for their particular audience. And it'll come in a whole range of ways. Um, we've got some amazing creative people in Australia and we've got some great marketers who I think are willing um, to do something different. And what we do know is those that take a risk will ultimately prosper. Um, they will increase their share of um, their share of voice, and by doing that, they will increase their share of market, and their business will grow. And um, Nine is their business partner of choice is here to help. Amazing, Michael Stevenson. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Next up, why Calvin Klein got in trouble for its thin model. We learned of a new ruling this week from the Ad Standards Board. They're getting a little bit more strict about realistic body images. Zoe. So in 2018, the Australian Association of National Advertisers updated the Industry Code of Ethics, which is what ads need to live up to when they are judged by the industry body ad standards. Uh, that this particular update was to section 2.6 of the Code of Ethics, which prohibits advertising that depicts material that is contrary to community standards on health and safety, specifically advertising that provides an unrealistic ideal of body image by portraying body shapes or features that are unrealistic or unattainable through healthy practices which is not justifiable in the context of the product or service being advertised, will be contrary to prevailing community standards relating to health and safety. So that's the context to this ruling from Ad Standards. The case was to do with an image on the Calvin Klein website, which had a model modelling uh, some underwear, and the complaint, the complainant said that she was too thin and it created an unrealistic ideal for young girls who may be on the website of what women's bodies should look like. Just thinking through some of the kind of potential consequences of the policy, uh, and I thought one of the really interesting things about this particular ruling was one of the complaints was that the, the, the photo that Zoe's talking about, the image, looked like it could have been photoshopped. They weren't saying that it was, but they're saying it could have been. If we think about influencers let's say on instagram all of those you know many many sponsored posts for diet shakes and tan you name it so many of those images look like they've had the benefit of photoshop um are we seeing a bit of a precedent here that suggests that all of those could potentially be breaking the rules i think it's a tough one because in theory, yes, but also we've seen a crackdown on influencers before where, as you said, those diet shakes, the diet pills, the diet lollies, et cetera, et cetera. There was kind of a real pushback a couple of years ago about them just being sold to young girls or boys and that we needed to find a new way to stop that. And then there was that big push about you know, across influence marketing, there had to be the same guidelines there was across ad standards. My concern is I think it's a lot easier if you're an influencer or if you're someone who uses social media to market things, it's a lot easier to get around these things. There are so many different loopholes that you can get through and 
as soon as one area of it is cracked down on, another area of it flares up, right? I also just think it's a little bit rich to me that it's taken this long for them to crack down on this, but that there was never a real crackdown in the magazine industry, particularly in its heyday. I know that we went through that big phase where they were like, we're going to declare if we're photoshopping models, but half the magazines didn't. And it just seems very strange that this is happening now. And also, I don't know that they're going as far as going through websites and looking at people modeling clothing on websites it just seems like we've somehow missed the point and I can't quite put my finger on it but I do feel like we've somehow missed the point. I mean it's important to note that this section of the code does cover uh, images that do appear to be photoshopped to make uh, models look like their bodies are unrealistically and um, attainable What's interesting to me is that this ruling came at the end of 2018 and we've gotten to the August round of ad standards rulings for a complaint about an ad to be upheld. And so the way ad standards works, for those who don't know, is that it's not ad standards that just like trolls around the internet looking for ads to ban. It's based on what the community complains about. Anything the community complains about, they have to deliberate. So it's quite interesting that it's taken this long for an ad to get upheld. I'm sure there are ads out there and influencers out there who have perhaps photoshopped themselves in content for brands that have managed to fly onto the radar on this. Next, why the little guys of publishing are worried about the ACCC's war with Google and Facebook. The Mumbrella 360 Reconnected program has just grown substantially bigger. We're thrilled to announce Sir Martin Sorrell as the latest international speaker joining the virtual speaker lineup this November 17 to 20. Hear from the founder and executive chairman of S4 Capital as he appears live in a special fireside chat with Mumbrella to discuss 2020, S4 Capital and the path to the future. Tickets are available from $69. Visit mumbrella.com.au forward slash Mumbrella360 to book. The ACCC's attempt to get money out of Google and Facebook on behalf of Australia's big publishers have been well covered in recent weeks. But there is a risk that it could actually make things worse for the smaller players. Hannah, you wrote this one. Yeah, this was um, quite an interesting one. I feel like just when you thought we'd taken all the twists and turns in the news media bargaining code, we've got another one now. So a group of 10 uh, digital publishers, which included Junkie, Urban List, Broadsheet Media and Concrete Playground, have spoken out this week um, in a statement to the ACCC, which was then passed on to the media. And they've essentially said that by cracking down on Google and Facebook, the Australian media industry is likely to see more harm than good. And that while it's obviously a complex discussion that needs to be had, they're a little bit worried that should Facebook back out of Australia in a new sense, it would be a massive hit for media diversity and would also increase the threat of misinformation. 
So this came off the back of, um, if we'll remember a couple of weeks ago, Facebook kind of said, if you're going to take these steps to the ACCC, we are going to not allow people to share news on our platform in Australia. And all of this was started by the ACCC's news media bargaining code, which will allow publishers to bargain with Google and Facebook for um, how much they think they should earn off clicks and reads and all that sort of thing. Well, something that interested me this week as well was, as you've alluded to, we we had a very specific, let's call it a threat, because that what it was, threat statement from Facebook, that if this goes through, they would be, in their words, forced to stop sharing news stories in Australia and stop allowing people to, to share news stories. Um, and people have been waiting a little bit, I think, for the other shoe to drop as far as Google was concerned. Do they, they, They've complained very loudly, but haven't gone quite as far. Something I noticed over the weekend was Laura Tingle writing uh, on the ABC website um, had a line that said, in fact, what Google told the federal government behind closed doors was that if it went ahead with its plan, Google would withdraw both Google Search and YouTube from Australia. So what she's saying is that is Google's position. That's what they've told the government, even if they haven't said it publicly. Now, it's probably worth noting two things. Laura Tingle is pretty accurate. You know, she's got a good reputation for getting this stuff right. And there's been no denial of that from Google. So they could very quickly have shut that down, had it corrected, if that wasn't the case. Um, and I, you know, I, I've not seen any sign of them taking opportunities to say that's a mistaken interpretation. So it does feel as if it actually is a threat from both Facebook and Google that if this goes through as stated, then um, then the, then that's what will happen. And as you say, that then could be really quite chilly for the small publishers. Yeah, I think that's the concern from these publishers is that their content, it's not like News Corp or Nine, for example, where, you know, a large number of their readers are either subscribers or they're people who regularly check those pages. Something like an urban list, a concrete playground, a a broadsheet, those are the kind of articles that you're usually finding via search or you're being recommended on Facebook or you're seeing your friends sharing. I think if I was one of those publishers, I would be incredibly concerned, especially, as you said, with the Google stuff. And it's, I think, a little bit sneaky that Google have delivered one, you know, one line to the public in that open letter that was all over their homepage and YouTube and another line to the government, which is a far harsher line. You know, in that open letter, it was like, oh, we're here for you. We're really worried about you guys. And then to, you know, tread that other line, I think, is a bit a bit rude. Um, but interestingly, in response to you saying that they haven't responded, they haven't. But uh, Google Australia Managing Director Mel Silver came out this week with a couple of kind of updates to that open letter and essentially just said, look, there's only three things that we want the ACCC to change. And should they change, we're more than happy to go ahead with everything else. Um, She basically said that Google doesn't want to have to tell the publishers when changes are being made to its algorithm. It also doesn't want to have to share any of its data. And the final one is that Google wants what it is saying is the existing value of its clicks recognized. So it's saying, yeah, we're more than happy to discuss payment for news, but we want that payment to come with the caveat that we're already giving you X hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars worth of value every year. Isn't the problem with that that if they agree to that, then basically that's everything? 
um, yes. particularly that last one, because it's a it's a bit like it's a bit like for years, um, Foxtel used to charge the free to air networks to broadcast their signal, despite the fact it was adding value for Foxtel. Um, so there's 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 absolutely a you know an economic argument, but that's not it because the hidden agenda of all of this is to find um, find a way of taxing the big platforms and giving the money to the big media owners. Yeah, and I think you're right. Like Google have basically just said, we're just asking for three little things, but those three little things are essentially the entire code. What I think we're seeing here, and this has been predicted by many people since the beginning of this, is we're finally seeing kind of directly in front of us the power that Google and Facebook have. And I think the main debate that's been had during this time is, is it are they too powerful? to be taken on at this point? Have we already let, you know, the horse bolt and there's no point closing the shed now? And I really think that considering it kind of almost seems like it's just News Corp and Nine sitting on one side of the fence, then there's a couple of people in the middle and then there's a lot of small publishers on the other side of the fence. And I do wonder whether that's going to change what we eventually see come out of the ACCC when we do see something come out of this. And that's it for this week. But before we go, grab a last minute ticket for Mumbrella's Virtual Finance Marketing Summit next Wednesday on September 23rd. In a year that has challenged every corner of the world, 2020 represents a pivotal moment for the finance industry. At the summit, you'll hear the latest insights from these big financial brands, ME Bank, Wiser, Bank Vic, KPMG, ANZ Bank, My State Bank, Versa, and many more. Tickets start from just $55. Go to mumbrella.com.au slash finance for more information. And this is goodbye from me for the rest of 2020. I'm taking long service leave to write a book. I'll still be writing Mumbrella's best of the week email each Saturday, but I won't be doing the Mumbrella cast. Hannah and Damo will be presenting it from next week. And I'll talk to you again in 2021. And that is it from us for this week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Thanks, Tim. Tim. Thanks, Tim. Toodle pip.